0: section nine of english literature by william j long this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter Five: the revival of learning fourteen hundred to fifteen fifty part one history of the period political changes the century and a half following the death of chaucer fourteen hundred to fifteen fifty is the most volcanic period of english history the land is swept by vast changes inseparable from the rapid accumulation of national power but since power is the most dangerous of gifts until men have learned to control it these changes seem at first to have no specific aim or direction henry v whose erratic yet vigorous life as depicted by shakespeare was typical of the life of his times first let europe feel the might of the new national spirit to divert that growing and unruly spirit from rebellion at home, Henry led his army abroad in the apparently impossible attempt to gain for himself three things, a French wife, a French revenue, and the French crown itself. The battle of Agincourt was fought in fourteen fifteen, and five years later, by the treaty of Troyes, France acknowledged his right to all his outrageous demands the uselessness of the terrific struggle on french soil is shown by the rapidity with which all its results were swept away when henry died in fourteen twenty two leaving his son heir to the crowns of france and england a magnificent recumbent statue with head of pure silver was placed in westminster abbey to commemorate his victories the silver head was presently stolen and the loss is typical of all that he had struggled for his son henry the sixth was but the shadow of a king a puppet in the hands of powerful nobles who seized the power of england and turned it to self-destruction meanwhile all his foreign possessions were won back by the french under the magic leadership of joan of arc cade's rebellion fourteen fifty and the bloody wars of the roses fourteen fifty five fourteen eighty five are names to show how the energy of england was violently destroying itself like a great engine that has lost its balance-wheel the frightful reign of richard the third followed which had however this redeeming quality that it marked the end of civil wars and the self-destruction of feudalism and made possible a new growth of english national sentiment under the popular tudors in the long reign of henry the the changes are less violent but have more purpose and significance his age is marked by a steady increase in the national power at home and abroad by the entrance of the reformation by a side door and by the final separation of england from all ecclesiastical bondage in parliament's famous act of supremacy in previous reigns chivalry and the old feudal system had practically been banished now monasticism the third medieval institution with its mixed evil and good received its death blow in the wholesale suppression of the monasteries and the removal of abbots from the house of lords Notwithstanding the evil character of the king and the hypocrisy of proclaiming such a creature the head of any church or the defender of any faith, we acquiesce silently in Stubb's declaration note, constitutional history of England that the world owes some of its greatest debts to men from whose memory the world recoils while england during this period was in constant political strife yet rising slowly like the spiral flight of an eagle to heights of national greatness intellectually it moved forward with bewildering rapidity printing was brought to england by caxton circa fourteen seventy six and for the first time in history it was possible for a book or an idea to reach the whole nation schools and universities were established in place of the old monasteries greek ideas and greek culture came to england in the renaissance and man's spiritual freedom was proclaimed in the reformation the great names of the period are numerous and significant but literature is strangely silent probably the very turmoil of the age prevented any literary development for literature is one of the arts of peace it requires quiet and meditation rather than activity and the stirring life of the renaissance had first to be lived before it could express itself in the new literature of the elizabethan period the revival of learning the revival of learning denotes in its broadest sense that gradual enlightenment of the human mind after the darkness of the middle ages the names renaissance and humanism which are often applied to the same movement have properly a narrower significance the term renaissance though used by many writers to denote the whole transition from the middle ages to the modern world is more correctly applied to the revival of art resulting from the discovery and imitation of classic models in the fourteenth and fifteenth centuries humanism applies to the revival of classic literature and was so called by its leaders following the example of petrarch because they held that the study of the classics humaniores, i e the more human writings rather than the old theology was the best means of promoting the largest human interests we use the term revival of learning to cover the whole movement whose essence was according to lamartine that man discovered himself and the universe and according to taine that man so long blinded had suddenly opened his eyes and seen the world we shall understand this better if we remember that in the middle ages man's whole world consisted of the narrow mediterranean and the nations that clustered about it and that this little world seemed bounded by impassable barriers as if god had said to their sailors hitherto shalt thou come but no farther man's mind also was bounded by the same narrow lines his culture as measured by the great deductive system of scholasticism consisted not in discovery but rather in accepting certain principles and traditions established by divine and ecclesiastical authority as the basis of all truth these were his pillars of hercules his mental and spiritual bounds that he must not pass and within these like a child playing with lettered blocks he proceeded to build his intellectual system only as we remember their limitations can we appreciate the heroism of these toilers of the middle ages giants in intellect yet playing with children's toys ignorant of the laws and forces of the universe while debating the essence and locomotion of angels eager to learn yet forbidden to enter fresh fields in the right of free exploration and the joy of individual discovery the revival stirred these men as the voyages of da gama and columbus stirred the mariners of the mediterranean first came the sciences and inventions of the arabs making their way slowly against the prejudice of the authorities and opening men's eyes to the unexplored realms of nature then came the flood of greek literature which the new art of printing carried swiftly to every school in europe revealing a new world of poetry and philosophy scholars flocked to the universities as adventurers to the new world of america and there the old authority received a death blow truth only was authority to search for truth everywhere as men sought for new lands and gold and the fountain of youth that was the new spirit which awoke in europe with the revival of learning part two literature of the revival the hundred and fifty years of the revival period are singularly destitute of good literature men's minds were too much occupied with religious and political changes and with the rapid enlargement of the mental horizon to find time for that peace and leisure which are essential for literary results perhaps also the floods of newly discovered classics which occupied scholars and the new printing presses alike were by their very power and abundance a discouragement of native talent roger asham fifteen fifteen to fifteen sixty eight a famous classical scholar who published a book called toxophilus school of shooting in fifteen forty five expresses in his preface or apology a very widespread dissatisfaction over the neglect of native literature which he says and as for ye latin or Greek tongue everything is so excellently done in them that none can do better in the english tongue contrary everything in a manner so meanly both for the matter and handling that no man can do worse on the continent also this new interest in the classics served to check the growth of native literatures in italy especially for a full century after the brilliant age of dante and petrarch no great literature was produced and the italian language itself seemed to go backward the truth is that these great writers were like chaucer far in advance of their age and that the medieval mind was too narrow too scantily furnished with ideas to produce a varied literature the fifteenth century was an age of preparation of learning the beginnings of science and of getting acquainted with the great ideals the stern law the profound philosophy the suggestive mythology and the noble poetry of the greeks and romans so the mind was furnished with ideas for a new literature with the exception of malory's morte d'arthur which is still medieval in spirit the student will find little of interest in the literature of this period we give here a brief summary of the men and the books most worthy of remembrance but for the real literature of the renaissance one must go forward a century and a half to the age of elizabeth praise of folly the two greatest books which appeared in england during this period are undoubtedly erasmus's praise of folly ecomium morie erasmus the greatest scholar of the renaissance was not an englishman but seems to belong to every nation he was born at rotterdam circa fourteen sixty six but lived the greater part of his life in france switzerland england and italy his encomium moriae was sketched on a journey from italy fifteen o nine and written while he was the guest of sir thomas more in london end of note and Moore's utopia the famous kingdom of nowhere both were written in latin but were speedily translated into all european languages the praise of folly is like a song of victory for the new learning which had driven away vice ignorance and superstition the three foes of humanity it was published in fifteen eleven after the ascension of henry the eighth folly is represented as donning cap and bells and mounting a pulpit where the vice and cruelty of kings the selfishness and ignorance of the clergy and the foolish standards of education are satirized without mercy. Utopia, Moore's Utopia, published in 1516, is a powerful and original study of social conditions, unlike anything which had ever appeared in any literature. Note, unless perchance the reader finds some points of resemblance in Plato's Republic. End of note in our own day we have seen its influence in bellamy's looking backward an enormously successful book which recently set people to thinking of the unnecessary cruelty of modern social conditions Moore learns from a sailor one of amerigo vespucci's companions of a wonderful kingdom of nowhere in which all questions of labor government society and religion have been easily settled by simple justice and common sense in this utopia we find for the first time as the foundations of civilized society the three great words liberty fraternity equality which retained their inspiration through all the violence of the french revolution and which are still the unrealized ideal of every free government as he hears of this wonderful country Moore wonders why after fifteen centuries of christianity his own land is so little civilized and as we read the book today, we ask ourselves the same question the splendid dream is still far from being realized yet it seems as if any nation could become utopia in a single generation so simple and just are the requirements Tyndale's New Testament greater than either of these books in its influence upon the common people is tyndale's translation of the new testament fifteen twenty five which fixed a standard of good english and at the same time brought that standard not only to scholars but to the homes of the common people tyndale made his translation from the original greek and later translated parts of the old testament from the hebrew much of tyndale's work was included in cranmer's bible known also as the great bible in fifteen thirty nine it was read in every parish church in england it was the foundation for the authorized version which appeared nearly a century later and became the standard for the whole english speaking race wyatt and surrey in fifteen fifty seven appeared probably the first printed collection of miscellaneous english poems known as totals miscellany it contained the work of the so-called courtly makers or poets which had hitherto circulated in manuscript form for the benefit of the court about half of these poems were the work of sir thomas wyatt fifteen o three question mark to fifteen forty two and of henry howard earl of surrey fifteen seventeen question mark to fifteen forty seven both together wrote amorous sonnets modeled after the italians introducing a new verse form which although very difficult has been a favorite ever since with our english poets note see wordsworth's sonnet on the sonnet for a detailed study of this most perfect verse form see tomlinson's the sonnet its origin structure and place in poetry end of note surrey is noted not for any especial worth or originality of his own poems but rather for his translation of two books of virgil in strange meter the strange meter was the blank verse which had never before appeared in english the chief literary work of these two men therefore is to introduce the sonnet and the blank verse one the most dainty the other the most flexible and characteristic form of english poetry which in the hands of shakespeare and milton were used to make the world's masterpieces malory's mort the greatest english work of this period measured by its effect on subsequent literature is undoubtedly the mort d'arthur a collection of arthurian romances told in simple and vivid prose of sir thomas malory the author caxton note william caxton circa fourteen twenty two to fourteen ninety one was the first english printer he learned the art abroad probably at cologne or bruges and about the year fourteen seventy six set up the first wooden printing press in england his influence in fixing a national language to supersede the various dialects and in preparing the way for the literary renaissance of the elizabethan age is beyond calculation end of note in his introduction, says that he was a knight and completed his work in 1470, fifteen years before Caxton printed it. The record adds that he was the servant of Jesu both by day and night. Beyond that, we know little. Note, Mallory has in our own day been identified with an English country gentleman and soldier who was Member of Parliament for Warwickshire in 1445. End of note, except what may be inferred from the splendid work itself. Mallory groups the legends about the central idea of the search for the Holy Grail. Though many of the stories like Tristram and Isolde are purely pagan, Mallory treats them all in such a way as to preserve the whole spirit of medieval Christianity as it has been preserved in no other work it was to mallory rather than to Leamon, or to the early french writers that shakespeare and his contemporaries turned for their material and in our own age he has supplied tennyson and matthew arnold and swinburne and morris with the inspiration for the idols of the king and the death of Tristan, and the other exquisite poems which center about arthur and the knights of his round table in subject matter the book belongs to the medieval age but mallory himself with his desire to preserve the literary monuments of the past belongs to the renaissance and he deserves our lasting gratitude for attempting to preserve the legends and poetry of britain at a time when scholars were chiefly busy with the classics of greece and rome as the arthurian legends are one of the great recurring motives of english literature mallory's work should be better known his stories may be and should be told to every child as part of his literary inheritance then mallory may be read for his style and his english prose and his expression of the medieval spirit and then the stories may be read again in tennyson's Idylls to show how those exquisite old fancies appeal to the minds of our modern poets summary of the revival of learning period this transition period is at first one of decline from the age of chaucer and then of intellectual preparation for the age of elizabeth for a century and a half after chaucer not a single great english work appeared and the general standard of literature was very low there are three chief causes to account for this one the long war with france and the civil war of the roses distracted attention from books and poetry and destroyed or ruined many noble english families who had been friends and patrons of literature two the reformation in the latter part of the period filled men's minds with religious questions three the revival of learning set scholars and literary men to an eager study of the classics rather than to the creation of native literature historically the age is noticeable for its intellectual progress for the introduction of printing for the discovery of america for the beginning of the reformation and for the growth of political power among the common people in our study we have noted one, the revival of learning, what it was, and the significance of the terms humanism and renaissance. Two, three influential literary works, Erasmus's Praise of Folly, Moore's Utopia, and Tyndale's Translation of the New Testament. Three, Wyatt and Surrey, and the so-called courtly makers or poets. Four, Malory's Morte d'Arthur a collection of the Arturian legends in english prose the miracle and mystery plays were the most popular form of entertainment in this age but we have reserved them for special study in connection with the rise of the drama in the following chapter suggestive questions one the 15th century in English literature is sometimes called the Age of Arrest. Can you explain why? What causes account for the lack of great literature in this period? Why should the ruin of noble families at this time seriously affect our literature? Can you recall anything from the Anglo-Saxon period to justify your opinion? 2. What is meant by humanism? What was the first effect of the study of Greek and Latin classics upon our literature? What? Ex- excellent literary purposes did the classics serve in later periods three what are the chief benefits to literature of the discovery of printing what effect on civilization has the multiplication of books four describe Moore's utopia do you know any modern books like it why should any impractical scheme of progress be still called utopian Five, what work of this period had the greatest effect on the english language explain why six what was the chief literary influence exerted by wyatt and surrey do you know any later poets who made use of the verse forms which they introduced seven which of mallory's stories do you like best where did these stories originate have they any historical foundation what two great elements did mallory combine in his work what is the importance of his book to later english literature compare tennyson's idylls of the king and malory's stories with regard to material expression and interest note the marked resemblances and differences between the mort d'arthur and the nibelungenlied chronology history fourteen thirteen henry v fourteen fifteen battle of Agincourt. 1422, Henry VI, 1428, Siege of Orleans, Joan of Arc, 1453, End of Hundred Years' War, 1455 to 1485, War of Roses, 1461, Edward IV, 1483, Richard III, 1485, Henry VII, 1492, Columbus, Discovers America, 1509, Henry VIII, fifteen thirty four act of supremacy the reformation accomplished fifteen forty seven edward the sixth fifteen fifty three mary fifteen fifty eight elizabeth literature fourteen seventy malory's morte 1474, Circa, Caxton at Bruges, prints the first book in English, The Recueil of the Histories of Troyes. Fourteen seventy seven, first book printed in England. 1485, Mort d'Arthur, printed by Caxton. 1499, Collet, Erasmus, and more bring the new learning to Oxford. 1509, Erasmus's Praise of Folly. Fifteen sixteen Moore's Utopia. Fifteen twenty five Tidale's New Testament. Fifteen thirty introduction of the sonnet and blank verse by Wyatt and Surrey. Fifteen thirty nine the Great Bible. Fifteen fifty seven totals miscellany. End of section nine. End of chapter five.